0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is taken from Proverbs. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Uh, Thank you, Dave. Uh, Good morning. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Redeemer. We are this fall in the middle of a series out of the book of Proverbs, and for the past four weeks we've been doing a lot of introductory, kind of defining, helping us understand what our approach to the book of Proverbs is going to be. We have said that the goal, uh, and because we're a young congregation and I'm a young pastor and we have so many families that are young, uh, the goal is that we will become wise, that it's not enough to just make it our goal that we be good, that we be moral, but we also need to be wise. And this book was written to help us and help the people of God throughout the generations to do just that, to become wise. Now we define wisdom like this. Wisdom is competency with regard to the complex realities of life. And so what we're going to begin to do beginning today is look at some different facets of life. So we're going to talk about parenting at one point. We're going to talk about money, unfortunately, at one point. We're going to have to talk about um, sex and beauty. We're going to have to talk about all these different themes, how you use your words, friendships, and what those look like. Uh, All of these, these different facets of life underneath the rubric we've already established of what it means to be wise. This morning, we want to talk about what it means to be wise in your planning. Proverbs says a lot about planning. So in your planning, as you, as the images of God, uh, go about your life planning, setting goals, problem solving towards those goals, what does Proverbs say about what it means to be wise in regard to your approach to life uh, through planning. Now, there are a couple, just by way of introduction this morning, there's a couple of things that Proverbs very clearly says. First, uh, these verses we just read point out the importance of planning. So look at Proverbs 21, five, uh, And, you know, it's going to be hard to follow along together because, um, the, there, you know, there's so many different places from Proverbs we're coming, but it really kind of goes in numerical order. So make your way down the list there to Proverbs 21.5. And you read, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. So, according to Proverbs, making plans is good. It's indispensable, in fact. Proverbs 14, 15, the prudent man gives thought to his steps. So one of the ways Proverbs would lead us toward wisdom is that it is good, it is wise, it is indispensable that we would give thought to our steps, that we would go about our life planning. I like that, because I'm a planner. In fact, if you know me, you know that oftentimes I have planning righteousness. Okay? Okay? There may or may not have been a family vacation, in recent, family vacation in recent years where all the way from here to West Virginia, before we left, on a piece of paper, the person in charge, i.e. me, had exactly the exit numbers that we were going to stop at, how long we were allowed to stay there, whether or not we were allowed to go to the bathroom when we stopped, because that can just create a whole, you know, oh, you know, oh, all the way to West Virginia. My wife looked at it and said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever looked at in my entire life. What are you trying to do? I don't know. I just can't help myself, right? I am a planner. It's not my fault I was raised that way. As a kid, uh, when we would go on a vacation, the first thing we would do the first night of vacation is sit down and decide what we're going to do for the entire vacation, particularly where we were going to eat each night on the vacation, which... As I thought about it, probably has more to do with we had a problem with food than we had a problem with control. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when you went on vacation with my family, it, when it came to 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, we had already decided what we were doing at 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. And then I married into a family that doesn't plan anything. And it's been hard. Because people who plan look at people who don't and think they're stupid. And people who don't look at people who plan and think they're just ridiculous. But Proverbs says, planning is a good thing. It's indispensable. And to to, to a degree, this is a good way to go about your life. If you're always last minute on stuff, Proverbs says, you'll miss out. You'll miss out on a lot of stuff. If you're hasty, do you see that, 21-5? Everyone who's hasty comes to poverty. If you're hasty, that is, if you make decisions in a hurry... Without carefully considering the different options, you'll really mess up your life too. So planning is wise, and to refuse to plan is foolish. But notice what Proverbs 27.1 at the very bottom there warns about, and it's echoed in the passage in James 4 that we read as a call to worship, which we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this morning. What they warn about, Proverbs 27.1 and James four thirteen through 16, is that there's a way of making plans that is evil because it amounts to a boast. It's boasting. So James says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then is gone. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live. And do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So on the one hand, to refuse to make a plan, Okay, if you're hasty, if you're unprepared, you're a fool, according to Proverbs. But on the other hand, if you're a hyper-planner, right? If you plan and schedule and calendar in order to control your life, you're a fool. There's a tension, see? There's a tension between no-planning and over-planning. And wisdom is knowing how to live in that tension. So three things I want to look at this morning about planning from this compilation of Proverbs. I want you to see the matrix within which we are to plan. Secondly, the danger that we are told to avoid in our planning. And then thirdly, and ultimately, the heart posture that leads to wise planning. So there's a matrix, there's a construct of reality within which we plan that we need to be aware of in order to be wise. There's a danger in our planning that we need to avoid in order to be wise. And there ultimately is a heart posture that we need to pray that God by the Spirit would develop in us that leads to being wise in our planning. I want to look at all three of those things from these verses in Proverbs. And also we're going to lean on James chapter 4 because it's, it's so helpful and it's echoed here. Okay? First, what is the matrix within which... We do our planning. In other words, what is that word matrix? It means a structure of reality. What is the structure of reality within which we live and make plans? Proverbs affirms two seemingly contradictory truths. First, that God is a planner. Do you see this? That God has a plan. And his plans, according to Psalm 33, stand firm against all of our attempts to thwart him. God is sovereign. That's the, the word we use to describe this. And yet, even though God is sovereign down to the most minute detail of our life, yet Proverbs also says that our decisions matter, that we should be planners. And so Proverbs affirms both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Never one to the expense of the other, never one without the other, and immediately at the beginning we're confronted with the fact that this is a mystery, how these things work together. And yet we've got to see what Proverbs teaches here, okay? So let's look together, okay? First, God is a planner. So look at all these passages, and you'll see all the ways they reveal this to be true of God. Lorraine Bettner, who is a um, systematic theologian uh, around the turn of the 20th century, he put it this way, he said, It is unthinkable that, God of, that a God of infinite wisdom and power would create a world without a definite plan for that world. If we could see the world in all its relations, past, present, and future, we would see that it is following a predetermined course with exact precision. He says, before the architect begins his edifice, he makes his drawings and forms his plans, even to the the minutest detail of construction. In the architect's brain, the building stands complete in all its parts before stone is laid. And the larger our enterprise, the more important it is that we shall have a plan. Otherwise, all our works end in failure." one would be considered mentally deranged to undertook to build a ship or a railroad or to govern a nation without a plan. And if that is true of man, how much more is it true of God? So if God is the creator of all things, then we should expect that he has a plan, that he has a purpose that is from the beginning of creation, that encompasses the creation, that is unfolding now throughout human history. And that's exactly what these passages in Proverbs teach. Look at Proverbs sixteen four. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. That word purpose just means plan. His purpose, what he intended. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. And what Proverbs teaches is a couple things then. That first, God's plan is ultimate. That God's plan is the ultimate reality in the universe then. So for example, Proverbs sixteen nine. The heart of a man plans his way. But the Lord establishes his steps. Again, Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a, man's, in, in a man's heart or in the mind of a man. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or Proverbs twenty one thirty one: The horse is made ready for the day of battle. You see that? But the victory belongs to the Lord. So even though we go about our life and we're called by God in, in, in wisdom to plan, to set goals, to try to execute those plans, what the scripture clearly teaches is, even in all of our planning, it is God's plan that is ultimate. It is God's plan that is the ultimate cause and the ultimate end of all reality. But not only is his plan ultimate, it's, we're told that his plan is also comprehensive. So there's a comprehensiveness to what God has planned. So you see there in, in Proverbs 16, 33... That the lot is cast in the lap of the Lord. Oh, excuse me, the, lost is ca- the lot is cast in the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What the verse means is, is that even the smallest, most insignificant details of our lives are fixed by God's plan. So God does care about college football, right? He does. And, and, and so, in the Bible, the lot, the, the best, kind of the best um, analogy of what the Bible meant by the lot would be similar to the roll of a dice, okay? So, what, what, what the Bible teaches, and if you want to be really legalistic and, and really uh, live according to what the Bible teaches, the Bible would say, in the Old Testament in particular, that an acceptable way of making decisions is to flip a coin. Right? Next time you're in a hard spot and you need to know, do I do this or do I do this? Flip a coin. Right? And we say, no, 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 no. That can't pop. No. See, what we do is we, hyper, we hyper-spiritualize these things where the people who wrote the scriptures knew that God's, God's will is operative even to the smallest, most insignificant detail of our lives, even to coin flips. God oversees coin flips. Don't over-spiritualize. The next time you need to make a wise decision, take my friend Terry Henderson. His way of, of helping people make, to make decisions is God, God's everywhere. Go with the money. <laughs> right? No, And, and we laugh. But, but, there, but his point, I think his point, and when I've heard him say that to people is, look, make a decision. Do you believe God's guidance is something he gives or do you believe God's guidance is something he does? Don't over-spiritualize. God is in control of even the smallest things, even coin flips. And so the psalmist sings in Psalm 139, In your book, Lord, were written, every one of them, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were none of them. Strong statement of God's sovereignty. And what you see is that the logic of the Bible is absolutely astonishing because if you look at, if, so you, you consider what Proverbs is teaching about the, the ultimacy and the comprehensiveness of the plan of God and all of the details of our lives. And yet, if you look at Proverbs 16.1 and Proverbs 16.9, for example, we're told that the plans of the heart belong to man. That it is in his heart, according to the, to the NIV, which is probably a better A better way of saying it, in his heart a man plans his course, 16.9. Which means your plans are yours. Your choices are yours. You're responsible for them. So even though the people who wrote the Bible said they they really had this vision, this view of God being in control of everything in their life, even down to the smallest things like the, the casting of the lot, They understood that they believed these things and yet they didn't live as if their decisions and their plans didn't matter. The victory belongs to the Lord, we're told there, but that doesn't mean you don't make the horse ready for battle. Right? And so setting goals and executing a plan towards achieving those goals, this is what we've been designed to do. God is a planner We are made in his image, which means we are made to plan. And we do it, a family budget, or starting a business, or teaching fourth grade, or making dinner for your family. Right? Requires you write down... You write down the food you're going to need. You go to the store. You get that food. You bring it home. You separate it. You fix it. You put plates out. You, what are you. You're executing a plan. It's what. It's in the, in the design of God. We've been made to make plans. And what Proverbs says is, God is a planner, and His plan is ultimate and it's comprehensive. And yet, that does not mean we are to live as people whose decisions and whose plans don't matter. Plan, in light of God's plan. And the logic is. I mean, the logic is. It's you know hard. It's hard to follow. The logic is 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 really unlike anything you you see anywhere else. And yet that's the matrix. That's the matrix within which. That's the structure of reality within within which Proverbs says we're to plan. God is sovereign. He has a plan that encompasses all of our lives. And yet our decisions matter. And if you don't affirm both of these, not one over the other, not one to the exclusion of the other, both then according to Proverbs, you're out of touch with reality. And remember, what is wisdom? Wisdom is being in touch with reality. So if you think that your decisions don't matter, in other words, if you have such a, a hyper view of the sovereignty of God, that everything's fixed no matter what you do, life is inevitable, there's a, there's a philosophical system that, that's named for that. It's called fatalism, and it'll make you overly passive and overly cynical. And I want to say, beware of fatalism in, in spiritual clothes, which sounds like this coming out of the mouths of people who've been around the church for a long time. Well, you know, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just waiting on God. Waiting on God isn't passive. Right? Right? Waiting on God is planning. Waiting on God is moving out. Waiting on God is making goals and, and, and going towards those goals, but knowing that God's got to come in and work at some point. So you see, on the one hand, if you, if you have this overly, even this, this weird kind of fatalistic spirituality that, that sounds like faith, but really isn't, be careful. But if you think, on the other hand, that you make, you make your own destiny, right? That at the, uh, the, end, at the end of um, the movie um, that we all loved as kids, Back to the Future, remember, right? The future is what you make of it. So make it a good one. Doc Brown comes in at the end and says that. You remember that? So if, if that's, okay, so if you think you make your own destiny, that what, in other words, what really counts, what really matters is you and what you do. Think about that for a minute. That's absolutely frightening. If you stop and you really think about that for just a minute, it'll lock you up. Okay, so you've got to live in, in that matrix, in the tension that's created there. Okay, that's the first point. But Secondly, inside of this structure of reality, God's, God the planner, you and I designed in the image of God to be planners, there's a particular danger, secondly, that Proverbs talks about that we have to avoid in our planning if we're going to be wise. And I want to spend some time talking about it in detail. And it's down here in Proverbs 27.1. <clears throat> uh, so look at that verse with me down at the bottom. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And then James, writing to the Christian churches he was the pastor of about wisdom, quotes, basically quotes Proverbs 27 and expands on it. If you look back at your call to worship when he says, I'm going to read it again, come now, come now, he's, re- come now. I mean, let's be serious. you. Who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. So, According to Proverbs 27.1 and James 4, there's a kind of planning that is evil because it is a boast. But we need to define what we mean by that. Okay? Well, look here. On the surface of these passages, see, they seem to condemn planning. Okay? On the surface, they seem to condemn planning. So, but, but James 4 is a business plan. It's a one-year plan. Right? Those of you who have businesses. It's a one-year plan or a five-year plan, whatever it is. But it can't be that James is condemning planning because planning isn't foolishness. Proverbs clearly teaches that planning is wise and not to plan is foolish. So what's he condemning here? And what James is doing, he sees condemning a particular type of planning that is evil because it's a boast. And I've, I've, you know, we've talked about this before, but when the Bible talks about a boast, what the Bible means is, is something, a ritual boast uh, would be if you can imagine on the, the battlefield where the two armies are squaring off against one another and the you know the undersized army is sitting there on, on their side of the battlefield and they're kind of shaking in their boots and they're looking out across the battlefield and they're thinking, oh, what are we doing here? Let's go home. Uh, we want to, you know, I want to get out of here. I want to turn around and run away as fast as I can. And then the general of the army comes riding down the army ranks and begins to uh, rouse the troops and makes a speech and says, today we're going to, um, stain our swords with the blood of our enemies and ah, and everybody starts all of a sudden all these guys that were you know looking like this about like, like they were about to tremble all of a sudden they're raising their swords and yelling and screaming and whew, they charge across the battlefield right that's a boast that's that's the etymology of the word a boast then is what what gives you confidence to face life your boast is your motivation to get up in the morning and charge into the day. That's what James and that's what Proverbs is talking about. And of course God God should be our boast. God should be his promises, his love for us, his sovereignty over our lives should be the ultimate source of our confidence and hope and joy. But what the Bible teaches is that all of us find other things to boast in. We replace God and put our confidence and hope and joy in something else. It becomes our boast, so it might be money, right? I'm happy, I feel secure, as long as the bank account is full. It might be a relationship, it could be a number of different things. But what James is saying is that it is possible to make your plan your boast. Now I've joked about this before, and I'm sure you'll laugh because I'm silly, but whenever my life begins to feel out of control, or I'm overwhelmed, or I have a problem to solve, the first thing I do is go to my computer and open it up and make an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) Right? Because if I can get it all down on paper, see what I'm saying? If I can crunch the numbers, if I can work a plan, then, you know, okay. We're okay, right? I feel better because I've got a plan. I'm going to do this, and then this will happen, and then I'll do this. And so on and so on and so on until I make myself feel better. Now, I've got issues, okay? I mean, I realize that. But can I be completely honest with you? I love Excel spreadsheets so much because they make me feel in control of my life. That's ridiculous, isn't it? It doesn't have to be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be a financial ledger or a to-do list or a schedule or a calendar. I love all of those things because it's all right there. There is a solution for every problem. My life on an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. <laughs> and that's the danger Proverbs 27, one and James 4 warns about. This, this life control illusion. If I plan well, then I can control my life. I can make things go the way I want them to. I can ensure that my kids will turn out the way I want them to. The life control illusion. And it's an illusion because it isn't real. It's out of touch with reality. And that's what both Proverbs 27.1 and James 4 are saying. Look at Proverbs 27.1 again. Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. James 4. You say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a a city. Yet, you do not know. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. And, And the reason the life control illusion is an illusion is because you do not know. Right, it's a hard reality for me to face. Pray for me. I'm not omniscient, but I. But a lot, and I say that because I a lot of the time act and plan as if I think I am. The Proverbs and James say, "You don't know." You see, that's why it's so dangerous. Plan to try to control your life is dangerous because it's out of touch with reality. And remember, wisdom is being in touch with reality. Not out of touch with reality. And so if, if you, you know, if we believe that we can arrange the future we want through our diligent planning, if we try to control our life, we plan to try to control our life, Proverbs says, we're fools. And we'll make all kinds of bad decisions. Because you see, here's why. If you try to plan like you're, as if you're omniscient, you'll either be overconfident or underconfident and full of anxiety. And either way, uh, you're in a bad frame of heart that will lead to a lot of bad decisions. So overconfidence. See, if, if you plan to try to control your life, if you, believe, if you believe that you can come up with a plan that will be comprehensive enough that you can really you know, plan out against every eventuality, then you'll be overconfident. And because you're overconfident, things will catch you by surprise, or you won't adjust midstream the way you need to, or whatever it might be. And because of your overconfidence in your plan, you'll end up making really bad decisions. Or you'll be underconfident and anxious, which is the irony. Because, you see, it's the same thing. What is anxiety? Anxiety is saying, I know. I know how my life should work out. I know the way my life should go, and it's not going that way. But you don't know. to act like you do is out of touch with reality. And James says it's arrogance. James 5, 16. It's arrogance. It is pride. And proud people are not wise people. So in order to be wise in your planning, you have to, number one, understand the, the matrix, the structure of reality within which plans are made. Number two, avoid the danger of planning to control your life, making your plans your boast. We've been talking about. Then three, In order to be wise in your planning, you have to, thirdly and finally, you have to settle the issue of trusting God. Now, look with me at Proverbs 16.3. And in Proverbs 16.3, the teacher says, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, notice the order in that verse. It's very, very important. Okay, Conventional wisdom would reverse that and say, Commit your plans to the Lord, and your work will succeed. But in Proverbs, it's the exact opposite. The order is, is is what's important. It's not plan, then commit. You see that? Don't plan, and then commit. Proverbs says you have to commit, and then plan. Very important. It's not plan, then commit. It's commit, then plan. And that word commit, there in Proverbs 16.3, uh, literally means to roll over onto, or to put all of your weight on. It means to lean into, or to put your confidence in or to trust God definitively that's that's really what it's talking about there decisively with finality and so if you're ever going to be wise in your planning then you what proverbs says is you have to first unconditionally with your whole heart put your trust in God for everything that happens in your life you have to stop planning to try to control your life See, and what it said, you can't plan, and then once you've got the plan all drawn out, give it to God and say, Here, God, please bless this. If you plan first and then trust, your functional Savior is the plan, not God. And that's actually a very dangerous spiritual position to be in. The way to wisdom, according to Proverbs, is to commit first, to settle the issue of trust first. Do you trust God? That's the real issue. Have you committed your whole life to him? Or is he just a part of the plan you're working? (laughs) Okay, and to commit, to commit, as Proverbs says here, means we have to stop saying to God, please come and bless my plans. We have to start praying, as John Newton did, what you will, when you will, how you will. What you will, when you will, how you will. It is well with my soul. What you do, God, is good. What you will, when you will, how you will, your will be done. Now, I want to finish by asking two questions. What does it look like to live that way, to have committed your whole heart, your whole life to the Lord, and then secondly, how do you get there? So what does it look like, okay? How do you know if you've committed your work to the Lord or if you're still trusting in your plans to save you? The first marker that you can pay attention to in your own life is there there will be as you become a person who commits your ways to the Lord and then goes about planning your life there will be this strange dynamic of uncertainty but confidence that starts to that starts to spring up in your life, okay? So how do you know what God's calling you to? You don't. Completely. You might have a sense. You might have a pretty good idea, right? But at the end of the day, you can't, I mean, there's no way to be completely sure that we've, that we've heard from God. And what the scripture would say is don't wait for certainty. Don't wait. Again, here's the spiritual language that creeps in that's, that's odd and weird and really not, not biblical. Don't wait until you find peace. I mean, do you think Jesus felt a peace about going to the cross? <laughs> no but he was absolutely convinced it was God's will. See, there will always be a measure of uncertainty. That doesn't mean you can't live confidently. You want to know God's will? Make a decision. Pray. Plan. And then go out confidently. You may succeed. You may fail. But if you fail, you fail only because God is preparing you for something you couldn't envision that will ultimately be bigger and better than your original plan. See? See? So, uncertainty, but confidence. Second marker, flexibility and spontaneity. See, if we, are, if we are not omniscient, then things will always be coming up that we could not foresee, and you have to adjust. So, if, if you can't adjust, if you, if you can't get into the middle of, of whatever plan you're, you're working on, and, and because of things that have happened that you couldn't foresee, make adjustments... You're never going to be wise. You're never, you're never going to make good decisions. And then third marker. The third marker is joy. What will begin to happen in your life is you'll begin to experience joy and not despair when the plan turns. You make a plan, it starts to go badly, and yet there's not despair, there's joy. And it comes from this. It comes from knowing that God's plan always transcends and goes beyond my plan. He is always doing something bigger and better than whatever the plan is that I'm trying to execute. See? That's so, here, that so, how do, what does it look like? How do you know if you've committed your work to the Lord? Is your life, is there a dynamic of uncertainty but confidence? Is there, is there an ability? Do you have the ability to be flexible and spontaneous? Or does everything, you know, is there joy? Not despair. When, you know, you have a goal, you have a goal for your kid, it's just not working that way. Can you look at it and not despair over it, but to say, God, God must be doing something that I can't even imagine that's going to be better than whatever it is I was trying to do to begin with. Okay, but then, how do you get there? If that's what it looks like, and if the issue that that Proverbs is ultimately leading us to is that we must commit our work to the Lord and then plan. Not plan and then commit. Commit and then plan. How do you get there? How do you commit? See, we have a commitment issue when it comes to God.
0: that's the issue.
1: Our hearts, this, this, this just fires up our hearts because we have real commitment issues when it comes uh, to the Lord. There's a story in the Gospels about a boat ride Jesus took with his disciples and a great storm came up and Jesus was asleep. He was their navigator. He was the one telling them where to go. He was the one leading and guiding them and he was asleep. And so they woke him up and they said, Lord, don't you care? And Jesus was really hard on them a lot of time he was patient and kind, but in this case he was really pretty hard on them. And he says, where's your faith? Now to understand what's happening in the story there, if you're a parent, or not, I think you'll understand. What happens in the heart of a parent when they have to tell their children no about something, and the child's response is, well, you don't love me. Most of the time it creates an emotional earthquake. As a parent, you want to say, how dare you? You have no idea the things I've done for you. You have no idea the sacrifices I've made for you. You have no idea, you know, all all the things, all the sleepless nights, all the, the things that I've done. If you knew all that I had done for you, you'd never question my love for you. If you would know that I must have a loving purpose for saying no to you in this moment. And so Tim Keller who I quote often, and and I can't say it better than he said it, which is why I have to quote him. He says uh, about this passage, he says, when the disciples said, Master, don't you care that we're dying? I think Jesus was saying back to them, don't you care that I'm dying? When they said, Master, you're not really navigating us through the storm, here's what Jesus was saying. He said, there's a real storm coming, a cosmic storm, a storm of God's wrath, a storm of eternal justice, and I'm going to bow my head before that storm and i'm going to take it for you i'm going to go through it without any navigation the father is going to abandon me i will be the only righteous person in history who rolled everything over onto the father and he's going to abandon me but don't you see i'm going through the ultimate storm without navigation so you can be sure that despite of the fact that you don't deserve it you will always have me at the helm see look at jesus look at what he's done It is the love of God for you on display in technicolor. And to the degree that you know and rely on God's love, to that degree you will be able to commit everything your whole life to him. And only then, only then will you be wise in your planning. One last thing. There's a certain irony that produces wisdom. uh, That is an understanding of God's sovereignty and his love for us as his people would make us very humble. Right, James says, I'm a vapor. and it, So the operative force in the universe is the plan of God. And so we are to go about life saying, if he wills, and so so on and so on. So God's sovereignty, God's action, if you, hold, if you hold up the ultimacy and the comprehensiveness of God's sovereignty, it will make you humble. And humble people make better decisions than proud people. That's what we've been saying, right? They listen to the advice of others. They avoid the error of being hasty. They are thoughtful and careful. So on the one hand, humble. But here's the irony. But, but, but what the gospel would do is make you, at the, at the one time, very humble, but also very courageous. And that's the irony. Pride produces cowardice. Humility breeds courage. And so Kurt Bruner, who was vice president of the Focus on the Family, put it this way. He said, my life is not the main plot of reality. When self-centered pride convinces me otherwise, my story becomes the timid, passion, passionless pursuit of safety and comfort. The humble spirit, on the other hand, submits itself to the larger transcendent story. And now, now we're approaching wisdom in this description of a humble person who's also very bold and very courageous. Humble because he knows his life is not the main plot of reality. That God's plan and God's purpose is the main storyline the world is following, but also courageous because he knows his decision matters and he has a part to play. And this is the person who's in touch with reality and will therefore prove to be wise. Toward the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, when it's just Sam and Frodo trudging along toward Mount Doom, exhausted, lonely, so afraid they want to quit. They begin to talk about all the stories of Middle Earth that they were told in their childhood and about the heroes in those stories, and they begin to imagine themselves like the heroes of old. And then something remarkable happens to them, they begin to realize that their adventure is somehow connected to the stories they were told when they were kids, that it was a small subplot of a larger story, a larger plan that's been unfolding throughout the history of Middle Earth. That they're in the same tale as the ones they've been told. And so their dialogue goes like this. Sam says to Frodo, why? To think of it, we're in, we're in the same tale still. Is it, going, it, it is still going on. Don't the great tales ever end? Frodo says, no, they never end as tales, but the people in them come and go. When their parts ended, our part will end sooner or later. And Sam says, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. (laughs) That's great. We're in one, of course, I mean, put into words, told by the fireside, or read out of a great book years later and years afterward. What a tale we've been in, Mr. Frodo, haven't we? Oh, I wish I could hear it told, and I wonder how it will go on after our part is over. And then something happens in Frodo's heart in that moment, and and he begins to laugh. And, and Tolkien says it, it, it was a sound that had not been heard in those parts for, for millennia. And then Frodo says, why Sam? And this is the key line. Why Sam? To hear you somehow makes me merry. As if the story were already written. See, Sam and Frodo recognize that their adventure, though pivotal to the larger story, was still just a small part That the story they fell into started before they came along and would continue after them after they had played their part. And that's humility, see? Humility, my part, is not the main plot of reality. But they found courage. They found the courage to play their part well, that their decisions really did matter, and the fate of Middle Earth really was tied up in what they did. Why? Where did the courage come from? What helped them find the courage that they needed? It was the thought that the story that they were in had already been written. That God does have a plan. There is something larger that's that's going on that we're a part of. So what are the plans you're trying to execute? Where are you needing to make decisions and you need wisdom? There is a story that has been written by by the God who holds the hearts of kings and presidents in his hand like a water course and turns them wherever he wills. And this God loves you. And he is for you. And he is working things together for your good to bless you. And to do good to you. Let me ask. Can you rest in that? If so. Commit your works. Your whole life. Your kids. Your business. Your your house. Your friends. Your relationships. Commit your whole life. All of your life. To him. How you will. When you will. What you will. And then plan. And you'll be wise let's pray. can we do that, Father, we so desperately need you to lead and guide us. Uh, without you, we um, are lost. and so I do pray that you help us as your image bearers to do the work you've called us to do to make plans, to set goals and to execute them, that we will be wise and diligent as stewards. Of the things that you've given us, and as faithful uh, followers of you, that we would image you in this way, but I pray that you would keep us from the danger, from the error of thinking that we can usurp you and we can take your place at the control panel of the universe uh, by making diligent plans that we can control our lives and, and determine the outcome that we desire. Forgive us for being so arrogant and so out of touch with reality. Would you come? By the power of the gospel, the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, that he went into the deep darkness without a navigator. He lost you, his heart's joy and treasure, so that we, though we trudge the darkness, would never be without a friend and a companion and a guide. That you, because of the work of Christ, promise to never leave us and to never forsake us. You promise that in all things, good and bad, that you are working together all things for the good of those who love you. Help our hearts to rest and trust you in that. And then make us wise to make good plans, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you long, like me, uh, for God by the Spirit to make you wise, uh, then receive the promise of this benediction. Look to the cross. And to the love the Father has shown to you in Jesus. And receive the words of blessing that are now over your life because of the work of Christ for you. And once you receive them, commit yourself wholly to him. Uh, and then you'll be wise. Uh, so that's the way this works. And so, you, so that's why we reach stretch out our arms to say, God, please, please come bring this truth into my heart. I need to believe this, that I can commit to you. Stop trying to control my life. Because only then will I make good decisions. So receive the benediction then. Here is the declaration of the Father's love for you because of the work of Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.